verse number 25. It's very short scripture. Uh, well, actually, verse 24. And Asher, and of Asher, he said, let Asher be blessed with children. Let him be acceptable to his brethren and let him dip his foot in oil. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. Amen. Praise God. The shoes of Asher. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We worship you. We ask that you would direct us tonight for a few moments as we open your word. Amen. Let it be an encouragement to everybody gathered together in this house. Amen. Lift us up. We thank you and we praise you and we thank you for opportunity of making a divine appointment tonight to give you praise and worship. Amen. We ask these things in your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We had a great service Sunday night talking about hope and how hope is connected to faith in that when you have hope, it is faith pointed in a direction. It is a future direction. It usually uh, has to do with what is in front of you. And many times that is what keeps you and develops you. Faith can focus on the past and the present too. Faith is a larger term. But hope is something that is focused on the future. And the scripture said in Romans that we have a hope that maketh not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the God that I serve tonight, but I'm thankful for his ability and anointing and the fact that I know him. I want to say this as well. I'm thankful for every blessing and every victory, and there have been blessings and victory that have come my way. And so there's a lot to be thankful for. As a matter of fact, the scripture says that it is the will of God that we would give him thanks. And so I thank him for everything that he has done in my life. And I'm appreciative of all of that. But there's a deeper level of thanksgiving because it's not just about what he's done in my life. But it's about knowing who he is. I'm not serving a God that I don't know, but I'm serving a God that I understand and that I know and that can I that can I can feel. The scripture said that we can feel after him if haply he might be found, though he is not far from each and every one of us. For in him we live. Everyone say live. In him we live. It's our being, it's our opportunity, and he is as close to uh, our worship to us. So I'm thankful for all of those things. And I'm thankful that my hope is connected to him. And so tonight I want to preach or teach and further develop what was discussed Sunday night. I feel like that hit a vein. Many people are without hope. They are hopeless. And you go through circumstances in life and you may be in circumstances in life. And so you are hoping for a better day. That's what hope is. It is in the future. Faith is connected to that. But there's something beyond just the faith and the hope. It has to be grounded in something. We who are apostolics, we who are apostolic Christians, we have faith and hope in an object. We're not, we're not having faith in faith. 
faith in something that we don't understand, hope that's not connected to anything that is discombobulated, disattached, and disconnected. It is connected to something that is very valuable to us. Praise God. That makes us different. And so when we do go through difficulties and turmoils and, and the vicissitudes of life and the things that would come against us, there is something that anchors me, that helps me in my faith, and then that hope points in a direction. And I want to talk about that anchor. And in order to do that, I want to look at an Old Testament passage as an illustration in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse number 19. There is something very revealing in verse number 19 where it says, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan his son was there found. There were only two weapons in the entire land connected to two people because the Philistines had taken control of the blacksmiths, moving from theocracy to crowning a king, moving from Samuel to Saul, from God fighting the battle to a king organizing an army. The nations in the promised land Israel was supposed to rout is now rising up against them. And one nation in particular that was very problematic was the Philistines. They were a strain on Israel, not just because of their national strength, but because Israel, under the spiritual leadership of Eli and his sons, had waned and the Philistines had grown in power. Eli and his sons were, Eli was kind of falling asleep at the wheel his sons were seducing the temple helpers, using the meat offerings for their own meals, taking meat by force, viewing the whole process in contempt, and then taking the ark into the battle and losing it. The Philistines were kept at bay only, only because of the leadership of Samuel. And when he retired, Israel wanted a king, and so they appointed King Saul. In his second year of reigning, Jonathan attacked a garrison of Philistines, and the Philistines mobilized. They mobilized 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and so many soldiers, the scripture said, they were as thick as sand on a seashore. And the children of Israel and Saul lost their Nerve. They lost their nerve. I got to tell you something funny. I looked down, I see Brother Jonathan. He's not going to like this, but this is too good not to uh, tell. He said, I look big and tough and I look like I can fight, but I really can't fight. But don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't tell anybody. <clears throat> well, I wouldn't want to get in a tussle with you, John Jonathan, because you're a pretty big boy. And the children of Israel, they thought they had the power of God. And when the Philistines mobilized and all of this started, stuff started coming together. 
They lost their nerve. Saul had selected 3,000 special troops, but they scattered. They scattered to 600, and confusion set in. Why do you think they were scattering? They didn't have any weapons. It's kind of hard to fight when you only have two weapons among all of the men that were gathered together. And Saul panicked. He offered a peace offering and was told his dynasty would end because he couldn't wait. He panicked. There had to be a peace offering, and Samuel wasn't there, and he was told it was going to take six to seven days. And so Saul took it upon himself to offer the sacrifice. That was not his position and not his place. And he was told by the man of God that your dynasty is going to end. It must end. It is at this point in our scripture reading that it is revealed that there was an absence of the blacksmiths in the land. And further points out that the absence was because these smiths had been removed from the land of Palestine. It was the Philistines' way of subjugating the Israelites, much like the Egyptians forced them into slavery because of their growth. We've got to, they're growing too fast, so we've got to make their lives much harder and more difficult. In this case, the Philistines were taking the blacksmiths out of the land, and so they were taking the ability to sharpen the weaponry, not only the weaponry, but the mattocks and the ox goads, the occupation, the warfare, the agriculture, the husbandry of the animals. Everything had to go to a Philistine blacksmith. They had to travel to get, this is a travesty, ladies and gentlemen. They had to travel to get to anything that they needed to a blacksmith. It was so bad that many of the Israelites joined the Philistine side because they've got everything. They've got the blessing. They've got the favor. They've got everything, and we've got nothing. And so we're going to change sides. Can I just interject right here? I don't care how good it looks in the world. I don't care how good it looks in the Philistines' culture and all the stuff they've got and the wealth they got, and it may feel at times that we've got not much of anything. But I'll tell you this, as as long as God is on your side and God has your back, you got something that is better than anything that the world could ever, ever offer you. I'm going to stay on the Lord's side. It may not look like we can win, but if God's on our side, it's possible. It may look like there's only a few of us and they look like an army, but if God's on our side, he's going to make up the difference. Woo! Somebody just let out a yell, right? Hallelujah. Praise God. Y'all are awake here tonight, I'll tell you that right there. Some of you need to bend over there and pick up the tonsils you just spit out on the floor. Hallelujah. There was not a sword or a spear to be found except Jonathan's and Saul's. The consequence of that was something had been extracted from the land. And it removed from the life of the men that Saul organized a missing ingredients. 
What was missing was promised dominance. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 9. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. And thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. You're going to dig into the hills. You're going to find iron and brass. You're going to be able to make implements of war. You're going to make implements of agriculture. You're going to have weaponry. And I have found out that if, you have, if, if you're a person that does not have the right tools, then you're going to spend a lot of time in confusion. But when somebody shows up and they've got all the instruments, you start seeing how things can be a whole lot easier than, try, than trying to use the little piddly box that you bought at Walmart that is just some kind of a house toolbox. When a real construction worker shows up in that truck and he's got all those cabinets and all that stuff and he reaches in and pulls out all these gadgets and tools and all those uh, dilly bobs and, 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 and you realize I need an education in toolery. Because what, what I've got is way inferior. The children of Israel were in a land that had iron and brass, everything to be dominant. Because God brought them into the promised land. He never intended for them to be subjugated. And God never intends for you to be subjugated. He intends for you to have the tools and the weaponry and the ability whereby to flourish and to maintain dominance. You need something in your hand that is powerful and God is not going to leave you powerless. You are not wandering around without the implementation of what it takes to plow and to grow and for crops and for building and culture and protection and power. God put all of that into your hand and then the enemy tries to come in and take it away and steal and that is what happened. The Philistines ruled the land. They were in a state of depression and degradation. And they had lost, because of that, they had lost hope. Because there was an absence of the blacksmiths. And when there was an absence of the blacksmith, there was an absence of the ability and the mentality of the children of Israel to think if we've only got two weapons, how in the world are we going to be able to overthrow such a powerful opponent. The kind of battle that you waged is controlled by this entire illustration. There's a blacksmith, and the blacksmith that I'm talking about tonight is God. You can't afford to have God out of the land. He's got to be in the land. I've been in some blacksmith shops you go to some of these places and you can walk in and you can see all this artistry and crafts and things like this and you can see an old blacksmith it's usually in a building and there's a fire there and he's got all these instruments and pliers and things to mold and shape he can fabricate things he can manipulate things he can form things and usually 
it's forged by fire. He'll heat it up and then he can bend it and move it and form it. And, and usually it's in a place like this where the blacksmith operates. God is the premier blacksmith. He can take a lump of iron or brass and he can heat that thing up in the fire, the fire of his spirit and his ability. And he can hone and develop weaponry and he can sharpen things that become very powerful in our hand. You take the blacksmith a sword, he can sharpen the sword so that it is razor sharp. We can't afford for the blacksmith to be outside of the territory. He's got to be right in the middle of the territory because there's some things I need to take to him that's going to give me the power and the ability to be an overcomer. He promised me dominance. I can't do it without implementation and implements and instruments. But there's a blacksmith that I know that has the ability to form and to fashion. And there's a fire called the Holy Ghost that is able to do do great things and make exactly what I need so that I can get on the battlefield and say I've got great faith and it's attached to hope and I can point it in a direction and pray and know that God is going to respond. Hallelujah. Somebody stopped me in church and said, I've been praying for years. It finally came to pass. I'm excited tonight. You need to pray about things that look like they look like there is no chance in the world. As a matter of fact, every time I come down Chester, hit the circle, turn right on Golden State, I pray every time, Lord, I wish deja vu would go to somewhere else. Let something happen. Just don't hurt anybody. Maybe the pandemic will shut it down because you can't be in close proximity to others and they'll run out of money. Something. Maybe they'll go to another part of town because we live on this street called Chester. We're one of the best things that ever happened to downtown on this street. God, would you remove some elements out the way so that we don't have to drive by that place every time? Amen. Well, I've been praying since 1992 and nothing's happening, but I'm still praying. I'm not, I'm not giving up. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still hoping. Amen. Put God to the test. Put God to the test. The Bible says that the blacksmith is able to hone the sword. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. The word of God is quick. Mm. and powerful, mm. and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is, marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. God did not leave you in this world without an instrument that is in your hand. And the word of God is sharp. Sharper than any two-edged sword. I want to tell you something. I've gone to the blacksmith, and the blacksmith was where he was supposed to be. 
and he sharpened the word of God, and I put my faith in the word of God. And then there was an anchor to my faith and the hope that pointed in a direction that gave me the ability that is greater than anything else in the world because it's connected to the Word of God. Some folks, I don't know how they're going to get through life. They may be positive mental attitude, mental thinking, opportunity, all of this uh, stuff that they put their confidence in. I'm not putting my confidence in that. I'm putting my confidence in the Word of God. I found that the Word of God helps me when I'm in the middle of turmoil. I found that the only thing that I could hang on to sometimes is the Word of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I went to the blacksmith, and the blacksmith sharpened my sword, built my faith, and I pointed it in a direction called hope and believed that through the power of the word I had a sword that would be able to fight off the temptation and power of the enemy that would come against me. God didn't leave you defenseless. He gave you the word of God. This is why Bible quizzing is so very, very, very important. Because when the word gets in your heart and your mind and your life and in your heart, it's a powerful sword. We can't walk through life with a dull blade. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen. The Word of God. So the implements that are sharpened by the blacksmith, when God sharpens the instruments, not only, not only, not only does he sharpen the sword, but he sharpens, in this illustration, the blacksmith sharpened every instrument, the ox goad which would rein in the ox. So it had to do with training animals, which had to do with plowing and agriculture, which had to do with planting and crops flourishing. That has to do with your occupation, your abilities, your talents, whatever you're planting, whatever work that you're putting in is going to be a return on that. And so the blacksmith sharpens those instruments, he sharpens the sword. There was a long list that they had to bring to the blacksmith. Praise God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 24 says, We are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. Amen. When you're facing circumstances in life, difficult circumstances in life, you do have a hope and it's based on a faith, but it's not hope and faith that's based on faith and hope. It's based on the word of God. Amen. That becomes your foundation. I'm telling you that if you need an answer in life, you can find it in the scripture. 
Amen. I need to read the scripture because in the scripture are the issues of life. Amen. There are things that are powerful that are found in it. I need to hone it. I need to sharpen it. I need to blacksmith to create things in my life that give me the ability to traverse through valleys, through deserts where there is no water, over great mountains and obstacles. Praise God. And God effectively does a work. There is not an absence of the blacksmith, for I've felt his presence in the house of God tonight. I can't allow the enemy to take away everything that is valuable to me. You know, sometimes you don't realize how important something is until it is gone. Let it never be the case that we forget that the word of God is powerful to us. Every single day, let there be a word of God that absorbs into my spirit and into my life. Praise God. That goes with me throughout the day. That helps me in my faith. And then I'm able to point that into the direction of things that I want to see change. You can't really get there unless you understand there is a word that anchors all of that together. That becomes a foundation and that becomes a strength. Has the word of God ever been something that it's the only thing that you seem to be able to hang on to? Oh, but it was enough. It was enough. And I hung on to that for every bit of life that was left in me. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 12 that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Our world is in a state of hopelessness. Amen. But I'm connected to a blacksmith that sharpens the sword. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 8, we are troubled on every these are the kind of scriptures I'm talking about, by the way. <laughs> we are troubled on every side. Yet not distressed. We are perplexed. But not in despair. We are persecuted. But we are not forsaken. We are cast down. But we are not destroyed. I feel the blacksmith sharpening the sword, giving me some faith to hope. Yeah, I can overcome this battle. I may be surrounded on every single side. Praise God. But there's a blacksmith in the land, and it doesn't matter what is arrayed against me. There is power. Paul summed it up in this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. And now abideth faith. I want to say faith. Hope. I want to say hope. Charity. Faith, hope, charity. These three. Faith is how we apprehend spiritual blessings and walk with God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Without it, you can't participate in the grace of God that draws you and teaches you. You have to have faith. Charity or love is what we show forth because of the grace that we receive. Because 
done and the faith that I have it produces an action. And the action is love. It's the fulfilling of the law. And sandwiched between these two, faith and love, is hope. And hope helps me pass through things temporal to see those things that are eternal. Without hope, we could not endure as seeing him who is invisible, nor have any adequate notion of the eternal world, nor bear up under the afflictions and difficulties of life. You couldn't make it if you didn't have hope. Praise God. Look at Abraham. He was connected to a blacksmith, and the blacksmith gave him a promise. And despite all of the things that he went through, he had hope. I don't see it. I don't see the promised son. I'm wandering around in this promised land in the desert. But I'm hoping that one day something's going to change. You look at Joseph and his life. All of the heroes of faith. What factor was present? The word of God, what God promised them. Produced in them a faith that pointed in a direction. A heavenly direction. And it was a hope connected to a faith connected to a word of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a... I don't know if you can get more lively than Sunday night. I really don't. I'd probably have a heart attack if I did anything more than Sunday night. And I broke this little table. But we fixed it. Brother Kevin Conrad fixed it. And thank God I didn't fall off of it because it would have ended the service really fast. So I will not be doing that again unless, unless it gets crazy like that again. This says that he has begotten us unto a by the way, I couldn't get some of you to worship and shout and dance and lift your hands and jump up and down and pray. The only way I could do it was to get up on that thing, and then you were so scared out of your mind, you started praying and seeking God and hoping that nothing would happen. Brother Jim, that's right. That's right. Brother Kevin Conrad said, I didn't even have to run the aisles, and I was sweating. Praise God. A lively Hope. You are to have a lively hope. I, in, in other words, I'm to think about things that can be better, not, not with my head hung down. Huh? Not with a hope that's barely me measuring on the Richter scale, but a, li a lively hope that said, it's going to change because I have hope. And it's connected to faith and it's connected to the word of God. And it may not look like it, but it's a lively hope that is burning on the inside of me. Don't get too close to me and try to breathe hate on my promise and my confidence and my hope. It's a lively hope. If you get too close, I'm going to splash out on you. And my lively hope is going to affect your abysmal hope. And maybe just somehow we'll have hope in an energetic 
fashion that is passionate that something is coming. I'm believing God for it. It's going to change. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be great. It's going to be marvelous. It's going to be magnanimous. It's going to be extravagant. It's going to be awesome. Hallelujah. What are you praying about? Do it lively. What are you seeking God for? Do it lively with energy. That's the scripture. That's the word. Dead hope results in people who don't act. Some people try and try again, whereas others seem to give up after relatively minor difficulties. Why? Because some folks have put a big stop sign in front of themselves. No hope brings no actions and no solutions and no power and leads to a whole lot of excuses. You may lose your job, but don't lose hope. You may lose money, but don't lose hope. <laughs> you may miss an opportunity, but don't lose hope. The losses in life may be troubling, but if you lose hope, you're losing everything. Ladies and gentlemen, your hope's connected to your faith, which is connected to the Word of God. It is grounded in the Word of God. You have faith in the Word of God, and you're pointing the Word of God into the future. And every single one of us have the opportunity to prophesy to the situation and say, this may look like a valley of dry bones. There's stuff scattered all over the place. I feel like I'm scattered. I've been torn asunder. But there's a God that I'm putting my hope in. He's going to pull this this bone and that bone, he's, he's going to put pieces of the puzzle back together again and he's going to breathe life into it. It's going to stand up and it's going to praise God. Oh, somebody clap your hands for just a minute here. Woo! Praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Musicians, come, please, and help me. Hopelessness is a sickness that goes together with pessimism. You know what pessimism is? Pessimism is expecting the worst. Oh, that probably won't work. That probably won't happen. That's not going to. Expecting the worst. Pessimism. Hopelessness goes together with pessimism. I don't think anything's going to change. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> it's also connected to depression. You know what depression is? Sadness and inactivity with feelings of dejection. Sadness and inactivity. Depression, it closes you off and makes you inactive. I can tell where some of you are. Just by listening. Did you know that? That's something funny about a pastor. I could shut my eyes and I could listen and tell whether you're in the building or not in the building, whether you're doing okay or not okay. Right? Based on what comes out of your mouth. Now, some of you, maybe not so much comes out of your mouth, so I have to look at nonverbal behavior. But some of you, you got a voice that resonates that can be heard. Don't ever lose that. That is so, that is, that is a, a treasure. We need, 
Not everybody can do it, but we need people that can pray as if, what is the song? What are you supposed to do? Sing like nobody's listening, dance like nobody's watching. What? I don't think that's quite it, but what is it? Sing like nobody's listening. Dance like nobody's watching. And there's one other one. I don't know now. Where, we, where were we going with that? <laughs> oh, pray, pray, pray. We need people that can pray and they don't care who hears them. They're just going to pray and lift up their voice. Pre-service prayer. Hallelujah. Somebody praying. Somebody lifting up their voice. Pray. Not everybody can do that, but it's powerful when those that can lift up their voice. It is a great treasure. Don't stop praying. When you stop praying, I know something is wrong. You need to lift up your voice even if something is wrong and say I'm in the house and I'm praying no matter what's coming my way. Apathy. It's, it's connected to apathy, which is a lack of interest. And it's also connected to anxiety, which is doubting the ability to cope with the problem. I don't know if I can... Man hopelessness. I don't know if I can I don't know if I can I don't know if I can get through this. I'll testify here. Can I testify here? Some of some of you are here in this place tonight you've gone through. If there were descriptions of hell on earth, you've gone through it, right? And you had a lot of anxiety, which I don't know if I can I don't know through this it caused depression which made you inactive you 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 did some dumb stuff right let's just acknowledge every single one of us we do some things when we get pushed against the wall and things are turned upside down we we can do some of the craziest things you better be careful judging folks like that because right around the corner may be something that knocks you upside the head and puts you under the same pressure and let us see how you act I'll tell you what you should be doing. You should be praying for individuals that are in situations like that. God, give them, give them a word. <laughs> give them a word and build their faith that produces a hope that says, I don't have to be pessimistic. I don't have to be depressed. I don't have to be apathetic. And I don't have to be anxious because I know there's a God that is on my side. And he has put a word in my spirit. And I am going to make it. And it is going to get better. And there are things great coming because God's a God gives to us promises and blessings and he gives to us a ray of hope. Amen. In conclusion tonight as we stand to our feet there's only two swords right? As Saul he's, he's, he's frantic, he's panting. He's <laughs> he doesn't know what to do. But his son Jonathan seems to be a little more spiritually astute and he's out and he sees a garrison of Philistines up on a hill, which is, he's not in the best strategic position. It's better to be on a hill than to be going up a hill. It takes more effort to get up there. It's not good ground to fight on. And he says to his armor bearer, 
let's show ourselves to these Philistines. And if they say, come on up, we'll take that as a sign that God is going to be with us. And his armor bearer said, whatever you're going to do, I'm going to be right behind you. Let's go. They showed themselves to the Philistines. And the Philistines says, hey, come on up here. They went up there and they wrought a huge victory that was so loud that it was heard abroad that caused the Philistines to flee and the children of Israel to conquer and once again dominated when it was the only sword in the land. You know what's amazing? One person with one sword can do great things when they put their confidence and faith in God and they point it in the right direction. I'm telling you, if we could get 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, Jonathans that say God is going to do great things. And if they call us into battle, hallelujah, we're going to take that as a sign that God is right in the middle of it. Oh, we need to pray like Jonathan. You need to pray like Jonathan for prodigals, family members, situations in your life. We need to pray for revival like that. Come on, there's a blacksmith in the land. We can run to him. There's a fire that he's got. He can refine some things and burn the dross and cause some things to come forth as gold. Praise God. Isaiah said, I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy tin. Amen. Praise God. The shoes of Asher. <laughs> you thought I'd forgot that part. I just got to bring it right back in here at the conclusion because you need to connect the text to the message. The shoes of Asher. Asher, you're going to be walking in brass and iron. You're going to be strong. You're going to be strong. That doesn't mean there are going to be some difficult times that come your way. But this is a promise to you. You're going to be strong. God is a blacksmith that equips us so that we can be strong. You can be strong at school. You can be strong on the job. You can be strong in the world. Do I have a witness somewhere here tonight? You can be strong in the valley. You can be strong when the enemy tries to come in and oppress you. You can walk in the shoes of Asher. Why? Because the word of God is in your life and anchors you. And it produces faith in your life. Hallelujah. You point it in a direction and you pray in hope, believing that God is going to do great things. Let's lift our hands right now. Praise God. Let's take it to the blacksmith right now. Come on, refine some things, Lord. Sharpen the sword here tonight. 